All right, we are back with week five of episode the Reaction five. Podcast. Episode five, week episode five. five. It's fantastic. And this is actually the first episode that is not about David. We're out of the Thrill Ride series. Yeah, we, we put the Thrill Ride behind us. Yep. Uh, and we're ready to step into, into Easter. Yeah. Yeah. We got some exciting news, though, over the weekend that we're moving closer and closer and closer to to getting out over the interwebs, right? To, to yep. being able to take this podcast and send it up into outer space and, and then eventually it'll make its way down to like maybe mobile devices and stuff like that. Maybe, ho- hopefully, sometime yeah. soon. Yeah, we know Facebook is a little bit tough, so we hope to get in the car soon so we can ride to work with you and That's be on right. your phone yeah. in your podcast app, hopefully, yeah. Yeah. in the next couple weeks. And you can, like, you can have a bumper sticker that says, Mike and Brad are my co-pilot. Yeah. You know, I think that'd be good. I think that would be perfect. Yeah, Mike you, and Brad in the morning. Mike and, Mike and Brad in the morning. Yeah. yeah I think we need to, now we need to come up with bumper stickers. Perfect. Yeah, sounds good. So, so we started a series um, a couple of weeks ago um, called Passion. And I think this is one of those things where I've always wondered, you know, and, and even growing up as a kid, um, I went to, to like more of a traditional church as a kid. And, and we always refer to it as Passion Week. Well, Passion and Easter and everything that goes along with Easter never made a whole lot of sense to me. Like, why do we call it that? Why do we call it the, the passion of the Christ? Why do we call this week Passion Week, uh, the week leading up to Easter? Um, and really, as we dug into this, we found that the, this word passio or passion comes from the word passio, which means to suffer, right? So this is a week where, you know, we are, we're looking at the fact that Jesus was, was willing to suffer and die ultimately for us. Um, and it's interesting, the more I thought about this, Mike, as we, as we went into this series about passion, is that, you know, we are, as people, we're willing to suffer for the things that we really are truly passionate about. Yeah. You know, we talked about this weekend, like for those of us who, who are athletes or play sports, we're willing to to suffer through, you know, three a days or two a days, especially in the summertime, like the, the dead of summer, or maybe it's, it's at winter or whatever it is, we're willing to suffer through those things because we care about the sport that we play. Or from an academic perspective, we're willing to suffer through, you know, multiple runs at the ACT or whatever it may be, because we really Really care about our score. We are we're, we're, we are willing to willing to suffer for the things that we are truly passionate about. And so when we think about this, to help us kind of make the connection of going, so why do they call it Passion Week? Why do they call the the, the movie the Passion of the Christ? Why is that the traditional churchy way? Well, it's because Jesus cared about us so much that he's willing to suffer, right? And God was willing for His Son to suffer because. He cares about us that much. That's why we say, when we say God is passionate for us, or we say Jesus is passionate about us, it means, yeah, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that we're in a relationship together. Uh, and so I think that's a good thing for us to, it, it, just a new way of of refocusing and, and recentering ourselves on, well, what is this week all about? Why do they call it Passion Week? That's what it is, um, is that as passionate as we think we are about some of the things in our lives, Jesus is that passionate about us. God, his Father, is that passionate about us that he's willing to watch his son suffer if it means we get to be in a relationship with him. And so, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we, we've looked at these these moments kind of leading up to, you know, the, the, the famous, the more famous moments in scripture where, you know, we know Jesus gets arrested. We know Jesus, you know, is put on trial and kind of a fake trial. We know that he's convicted of a crime he didn't commit and that he's crucified on a cross and then put in a tomb and three days later walks out of the tomb. Like we know that, but what happens in the moments leading up to that? Like those last moments that he spent with his friends, that he spent with his, his, his disciples, his followers, because you and I know like, if, if I'm going to have a last conversation with you, Mike, like if I'm moving away or you're moving away, and we know this is probably the last time we're going to sit face to face 
with one another, man, whatever I say to you and whatever you say to me, we're going to make sure that it matters. We're going to make sure that it sticks. And it's it's not that, that Jesus wasn't intentional about the things that he did prior to this, but to, to really dive into the moments right before Jesus' last few moments of freedom, you know the things that he's saying to his disciples, none, none of it's going to be arbitrary, right? It's going to matter. And so uh, we wanted to kind of dive into um, these moments. And so when we talk about Easter, we can't skip out on the moments that lead up to Easter. And the first thing that we looked at was this meal, right, that Jesus had. He had all of his friends. They gathered together in a, in a room, in an upper room, the upstairs part of somebody's house uh, to have this, to celebrate this meal, right, this Passover meal, which was something they did anyway. Um, we call it the Last Supper, right? It's famous. It's a painting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it's not just... For us, it's not just a ritual, right? It's where we get communion, but it's not the—it's not just a, a ritual that we do for a few minutes every week in church during, you know, when the band plays a slower song, right? It, it has—it means more than that. And you preached that week, right? It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so unpack this for us, man. What, what do we learn? What do we learn about the truth? What, what really is behind communion? Yeah, I think the I think the first thing to notice about the Last Supper is that it's not necessarily that Da Vinci painting. It's not something that's supernatural or uh, just a room full of Bible people doing Bible things. It's a room full of Jesus's best friends, and he spent years with them building context, and now he's kind of assigning that meaning. Like you said, that last conversation before I die, it's time for like deeper meaning, and what am I going to leave you with? that you can participate in after I'm gone that's going to keep us connected. And what's cool about that is that connection that he's offering is a connection that he's offering the church forever. So not just the 12 people in that room, but he's offering it to us as anyone who's willing to follow Jesus. Like, here's something that you can participate in until it's time to come to the kingdom and, and live in heaven forever, uh, which is, is super cool. But as I started to look at the scripture, and I'm thinking about how I'm going to preach through this, you know, the text of the Last Supper is so simple. He takes the bread, he takes the juice, he explains what it is, and they take it together. It's like a few sentences, and then it's over. The word that I really honed in on as I'm, as I'm looking through that was the word drink, and what does it mean to really drink from the cup of Christ? Ended up finding out that that word, that the text for communion is written in Greek, and that word drink is pino, um, which literally does mean to drink, but it can also mean to, to be nourished, to be refreshed, to be strengthened um, unto life eternal, mm. which is a, a super cool idea. If you think about drinking in a temporary context, like the blood of Christ, that's just a weird and gross thing to do. But if you think about it in an eternal context, like we are here waiting for something to be manifested and and to be refreshed and to be strengthened and be nourished is is this gift that we're given through participating in communion through the church that's our family that's the body uh, of Christ and so it was it was cool to dig into that but as I'm looking at this word and I look through scripture and, and uh, asked you know where else is this word used it's used a ton in First Corinthians um, there's actually two two chapters where Paul sort of explains to the the church in Corinth how to take communion. Um, which is really cool. How to more specifically how to receive communion because it's really this this cup is being offered. Are you going to receive it? Like that's the question. Um, and it's interesting because the the people in Corinth are they're a lustful people. They're a prideful people. They're very busy. It was a city that celebrated popular culture. It was a city that celebrated logic and eloquent speaking and that kind of thing. And so these people are not necessarily wallowing in desperation, but they're a little bit too busy to receive maybe who Christ is fully. And so Paul is is helping them kind of get over themselves by saying, here's what communion is, and here's what you need to do when you take it, 
rather than taking for taking it for granted like here's some tips um, on how to take communion well and he points back to the Israelites as they're in the desert and he says they all had access to the same uh, drink which is also a, a really unique point that that was was interesting to uncover it says in in chapter 10 it says they all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ and he says but the thing is they kept wandering away to idols they kept getting distracted they kept their minds kept wandering they kept falling into sin they kept getting destroyed their bodies were left scattered in the desert he uses some pretty colorful language to be like man these people had the same offering the same cup of Christ to drink from, and they kept getting distracted and they kept messing up. Don't let that be you. So that's kind of his first thing uh, to the to the Corinthians. He says, don't don't let their example be the thing that you follow. Um, and then he just points out that these these people in Corinth, they're sitting down, they're they're taking the the cup and the juice, they're participating in the meal, but then they're going up they're getting up and going out and it's like it's having no effect on their life and so it's it's this ritual practice without a follow-through of meaning assigned to that thing that they're doing and so he starts to call out um all of these all these things that they're doing but it really as i as i read through each instruction that he gives to the church there were kind of four things that uh are are practical takeaways for all right based on what paul is saying like how do we take communion well and the first one is just to remember uh, what Christ did. It's a way to just remember that sacrifice. It's a way to remember the suffering, the passion that Christ went through uh, to redeem us. It's that exchange of the old covenant for the new covenant. Right, right. Um, the fact that we're being offered grace, which is a way for us to live forever in heaven um, despite our sins. So it's just remembering that. And then it's reflecting. Paul says we need to examine ourselves in order to, to be worthy of taking the cup. Like we need to honor the body of Christ by examining ourselves first. And that just means to look back at your week, think about the things that need to be repented over. So, you know, where, where did I mess up this week? Where is there sin in my life? Take a minute to repent over that, call out those things, and kind of purify yourself of that. Um, and then just celebrate. Because communion, although it is a, a remembrance of something very somber, it's also a remembrance of the greatest gift of all time. It's a remembrance of the, the best news that's ever been given in the world. Right, yeah. uh, so as much as it is a, a remembrance of death, it's a celebration of resurrection, which is cool. And so as you kind of step through that process, you know, it's it's. I remember growing up in church and in in having the the cup and the juice in fifth grade and being like, I think I know what we're doing here, but I'm not positive that I know what we're supposed to be doing here. And so the goal really with this week was just to sit down with students and say, hey, here's four things you can do. Take that cup, take that juice, remember what Christ did for you, reflect on your week, think about the things that need to be called out, repent over those, and then celebrate the inheritance, the promise, the gifts that you're going to be given as followers of Jesus, as co-heirs of his kingdom. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, it is. It's, it's funny because we think about communion. Like I remember, like you were talking as a kid, I can remember as a kid going, "Man, like what's this like mid worship snack that yeah. everybody gets?" You know, and you kind of look at it that way of going, "So what's this like? What does this look like?" And um, you know, I get to take a break from like as a kid, get to take a break from my my my, my goldfish. You know, I'd lay in the the pew and eat goldfish. It's like, no, no, now I, I, I'm big enough. Now I should be able to take communion. Um, but it is. It's more than that. In fact, even thinking back to like the like the, the the original elements, like where this comes from, you know, comes from all the way back in the story of, of Moses, the Exodus, right? And that this was the Passover. This was the moment, you know, in the, the, the final plague in Egypt where, you know, it is. It's like, here's the deal. The the, the angel of death, right, is, gonna, is going to 
cover, you know, the, the, you know, this, this area in Egypt and, and they are, it's like the, if you have the blood over your doorpost, then the angel will pass over and you'll be spared. Um, and Moses goes and he tells the people, Hey, get this meal. There's a specific meal that you need to get ready. Uh, it's unleavened bread. It's, you know, those, those kinds of things. Um, and he says, get this meal ready. And it's interesting to me that like, that was a meal that was, it was one quick to prepare and two, it was, it was designed for like quick transport. So it's, this is a meal you eat before you get ready to engage something that God is asking you to do, right? And so that was like the original point of the meal. And so from that point forward, people would celebrate Passover to remember, hey, that was the day that we were essentially freed from slavery in Egypt. Um, Jesus comes and he takes the same meal and he says, hey, you remember the old deal, right? The old deal was, you know, there's a covenant between you and God and, and here's a list of rules that you have to follow and, and those kind of, I'm going to make a new deal, right? Here's a new deal. Here's a new covenant on the table um, and I'm making a new covenant, but the, but the elements are the same and the principle is the same. Hey, this is a meal that you eat, that you take in, that prepares you to then step into something. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's, that's such a cool deal. If you think back to the original Passover, those original elements that are involved in that meal and what that symbolized of, yeah, you're gonna eat this, but in eating this, you're, you're also preparing yourself to step into freedom. It's the same now. As you take those elements, you take that bread, you take that juice, it's the same element of going, yeah, I'm stepping into freedom, but because of the new covenant, right, the new deal that Jesus established for us, we're stepping into a whole new kind of freedom. Yeah. It's not freedom from slavery. It's freedom It's freedom from sin and death, Yeah. Uh, which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a freedom and a relationship. Like yeah. the, the people, uh, even before the Last Supper in John 6, Jesus starts to use some of this blood and flesh language, and people are like, how is he going to give us his flesh to eat? Yeah, like that, that makes gross. no sense. Yeah. 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 And what Jesus says, uh, he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And that word abide is a relationship. Yeah. And I think he chose to use intimate terminology, intimate symbolism, because he wants an intimate relationship. Uh, and that, you know, blood and life have been linked throughout the narrative of the whole world, like through that old deal, through the new deal. It, it is intimate symbolism, because with that freedom is the relationship, is the fact that we are co-heirs. Like he went to his father and he advocated on our behalf. And he yeah. said, I want these people to be a part of the kingdom, just like I'm a part of the kingdom, which right. is a, it's a incredible, incredible gift. Yeah, yeah. So the four things, just to, just to recap those, remember, right? You said, remember what Jesus has done for us. You know, reflect. And I think it is, it's important for us, parents and students both, for us to think back. Let me let me just spend a little bit of time reflecting on my week. I don't know that we give ourselves enough time to just think back and let me reflect on what happened. We tend to pop from one thing to another and one thing to another and to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing uh, without really taking a step back and going, okay, what did happen? You know, where are the moments where God really did show up? You know, I've had conversations with parents and students of going, I just don't know where I see God in my life. Well, some of it is because you're not looking, right? You're not taking the time to go, oh, he showed up here. And, and it's not till later you go, oh, there's an aha moment, right? Those aha moments can be, can be way more, I think, uh, way, more, or way, way more regular in the rhythm of our life if we just take a little bit of time to reflect on our week. And like you said, there's, there may be some things that we need to call out in ourselves to go, God, I need, I need to bring this in front of you. I need to confess this. And then to repent, which is you know, a fancy church word of saying to change direction. 
Um, and it is, it's asking God for the courage to be able to change the direction of your life of going, okay, I'm calling this out, Lord, I'm confessing this in front of you. Now I wanna rethink the way I do this. I wanna rethink the way I approach this. Uh, would you help me to do that? Would you walk with me you know, in this, yeah. to, to repent, to change direction? And then ultimately, I think this is a thing that, that, that we often, the one thing that we skip the most, and I love that it's, it's even one of Dallas Willard's spiritual disciplines, the discipline of celebration, right? Uh, of jubilance, of just being happy, celebrating the fact that, boy, we are, we do, every time we take communion, we're reminded, like you're saying, it's like, I'm not just stepping out, I'm, I'm stepping into freedom of, from sin and death, but also into a relationship uh, with ultimately the creator of the universe, yeah. uh, which is such a cool thing. And so, you know, for us parents and students, as, as we think this week of going, you know, think about communion, it isn't, it's not just something you do during a slow song in worship, right? When the band plays a sad song, it is, it has everything to do with, just like it did for the Israelites way back in Exodus, and like it did with Jesus and his disciples sitting around that table, it has everything to do with what you do when you get up and leave the table, mm -hmm. right? It's not just the meal you're taking in that moment, but it's where you go when you get up and leave, the, leave this table. Are you living a life that's reflective of the fact that, that you have just basically taken in the, the things that represent your salvation, right? Are yeah. you reflecting that? Um, you know, we talk about we can, we can treat these, you know, these moments throughout the week with the same attitude that we treat communion. Uh, you know, our time together, uh, our time together around the table, whatever it may be, we can treat these moments throughout the week the same, the same attitude we treat communion. And so it's important for us that we walk away from communion with the spirit of obedience that's going to last throughout our weeks, right? It's not just something, it's not just a flash in the pan kind of deal. Um, it's not something you do once a week in one moment in, in a service and you're done, uh, but it's something that we can begin to look at communion and, and what communion represents as something that sustains us day to day. Yeah. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna celebrate freedom, that means you need to act like you're free, yeah. right? You don't walk away as a free person and then act exactly the same way you did when you were in slavery. Uh, so, so really, getting up from that communion table is getting up, and it's it's acting new, and it's it's going in a new direction, yeah. which is a it's a cool idea. Yeah. Um, Sweet. Well, next week uh, we're diving into prayer, That's which right. is kind of the, the part two of Jesus's evening as he is preparing to die, as he's assigning meaning, as he's leaving some some final things with his disciples. And, and I think the core of this both both weeks is really the fact that that God wants us to feel life more, not less. Yeah. Uh, we see that we see that with communion. It's it's not about suppressing sin. It's not about suppressing the dark things in our life. It's about pushing those uh, out of our souls and being able to step into something new, celebrate something that's even sweeter than what we knew before when we were living in sin. And, and as we look at prayer next week, it's going to be about, uh, you know, having a relationship and, and having conversations with God uh, that are going to let us let us participate in life in a way that's even more rich and more full uh, than when we were doing it on our own, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, a couple of things, and I love that, the, that God wants us to feel life more, not less. Think about that. He's not just here to numb us from the, it's not like God is not spiritual Novocaine, right? Yeah. Um, it is like when Jesus says, I want you to, I want to lead them into a life and a life that's the fullest. This is what we're talking about, yeah. right? Um, and I think a challenge that I would, I would, you know, parents, if you're, if you're listening to this and you just want to give something a shot this week, you know, I think it's super cool in Acts 2 in particular, we see you know, he uses the word they, and, it, and they is talking about the common people, right? Normal people gathering around tables, breaking bread, and enjoying this same kind of feast, the same kind of meal together in their homes. Parents, I would just say this, 
get your kids around the table and and let's t- let's have a conversation about communion and then take communion together as a family. Yeah. You know, I think that would be super cool. It doesn't have to be they they if if it's okay for Jesus's followers to do this in homes around tables and not necessarily at church in a moment while a band is playing a song, um, then it's okay for you to do it too. Yeah. Um, to grab a, a loaf of bread, you know, it doesn't you know you can go get the fancy King's Hawaiian if you want to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but to sit down and go, hey kids, let's 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 have a conversation, all right? Let's have a conversation as a family about what this means. Remembering those four things: remember, reflect, repent, celebrate. Uh, how cool would it be, you know, to you, for you to walk your kids, your students through uh, what this looks like and to talk about, man, Jesus is willing to die for us. He was willing to suffer for us. And when we take this, when we remember communion, we take this bread and we drink this juice, we remember what we step out of and what we step into. And if it wasn't for the body and blood of Jesus, none of this would be possible. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a good challenge for us this week to activate communion in our homes. Yeah. As opposed to just waiting for Sunday for it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Take a look at Matthew 26, look at the account of the Last Supper, um, and then take a look at 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 and just read through that. Take what you learn uh, and, and do that with your family. We'd love to hear stories from that. If, yeah, if, sure. you, if you guys end up doing that, we would absolutely love to hear how that goes. And uh, we'd love for you to send us an email or catch us at the block and, and let us know how that is for your family. Great. Awesome. We'll, we'll talk to you next week about prayer. See you next week. <laughs>